0: Samuel chapter 10 maybe we'll just read verse 1 and verse 24 again then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance and then verse 24 and Samuel said to all the people see ye him Whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Now this chapter that we carefully read through tonight is all about Saul, the Lord's anointed. It starts off with the account of his anointing. And at the first part of the chapter there is a private eye view in him as he gets this anointing. It's just Samuel and Saul there. It's a kind of a private ceremony. But then in the second half of the chapter, uh, Samuel calls a public meeting. Saul is brought out into the limelight and publicly announced, this is the Lord's chosen. So the people saw him but first of all, Samuel saw him. Samuel speaks to Saul about the anointing. Is it not because the Lord have anointed thee? I haven't done it, Saul. It's the Lord that is anointing thee. And then in verse 24, Samuel speaking to all Israel. See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. See ye him. And that's what we want to do tonight. We want to see him. To see the Lord's anointed. And what do you see? When you see him. Are you seeing what the Spirit wants you to see? Because there most certainly is a picture of Christ here in this anointing. There's something in this chapter that's very special. Do you see him? Whom the Lord hath chosen. Isn't there something special in those words? Isn't there something more beyond Saul in those words? Do you see him whom the Lord hath chosen? His anointed? Of course, we're always being drawn to Christ in language like this. And whenever we read the word Messiah, anointed, we're always having to think of Christ, of the Redeemer. So we have a wonderful picture here in verse 1 of an anointing taking place. Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him. So there's something very wonderful here. A man being anointed. A man being kissed with affection. Being reverenced. A man receiving the word of God upon him and over him. And he's going out as the Lord's captain. It all seems wonderful. It all seems so perfect. But there is even here an indication that it's. Just not so perfect. Because it says a vial of oil. Not a horn of oil. But a vial of oil. That's significant. There's a, there's a little hint here. That there's, this isn't the end of the story. There's someone else. Well, You'll notice that whenever David was anointed. God said to Samuel. He says take a horn. Take a horn of oil. But here it's a vial of oil. And the only other time we read a vial of oil being used is to J.U., whenever he was anointed, and he wasn't a very good man, as we know. So there's a wee hint here, a wee subtle hint, that there's just not something perfect here. But we have to make do with what we have. The Lord is still showing us a picture. The Bible is difficult to understand. I have to admit that, and I hope that you admit that too. We can't understand all the scriptures, and there are difficult things in the Bible. You remember Peter, how he said, or Paul, Peter said about Paul's writings, about his epistles, there are some things hard to be understood. And the danger is that there are men who will wrest them and twist them and turn them about and do do things that are not biblical through to those scriptures. And we must always watch and guard against that. And it's not only true of Paul's epistles, it's also true of the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, But it's also true of the early prophets who wrote these historical books, the books of Samuel and Kings. There are difficult things here. And I think you especially feel that whenever you come to study Saul. He's a very difficult character. He's an enigma, really. really. God's dealings with him are very difficult to understand. Uh, One thing that we mustn't do then is, is twist Scripture And try to see what what is happening. And what, what way we're being led here. But one thing is clear. At one point. Saul is God's man. And in this chapter he's God's man. I'll send you a man Samuel. You'll anoint him. And he has all the indications here. As we'll see of being God's man. But then later we know. He's no longer. God's man. And this is difficult. How do we understand this? How do we explain this? God appointed him, God anointed him, and then later rejected him. Now, that's difficult. And people make a lot of issues out of that. And, you know, there's difficulties for the Calvinistic camp, and there's difficulties for the Arminian camp. But we have to say here this is not about salvation, this is about a king. This is about an appointment to a public office. This is about a role in the nation under God. This is not about saved or lost. It's not about that. And we can't use Saul for saved-lost theology. No, it's not about that. A man can be God's man in the ministry one day and not be God's man in the ministry the next day. That's the truth of the matter. A man of God can fail in the ministry and have to leave the ministry. But ministry business is not necessarily salvation standing. It's Two different things altogether. Many a man, many even a good man has had to leave the ministry and it's been over. But he's continued to be humbly walking before God and to repent of all his sins and go on with God. So there, there are two different issues here. And I think that we have to keep them distinct. And then, well, if God rejected Saul as king, why did he not reject David as king, who had even greater offences in his reign? And the answer is, I don't know. We can't understand. Who can? But it seems clear that from all of what the Bible says, God is sovereign, He does what He wants. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. Whom he establishes, he establishes. Whom he takes off the throne, he takes off the throne. The Samuel and kings show there's only one who reigns. There's only one who's sovereign. There's only one who's king, and that's God. And we must never take a rise off him. God and his son Jesus Christ is the true king. The true sovereign. And these other kings, from time to time, they'll be pictures of him. So we see the sovereignty of God. And we can't deny that Saul is, God is working with him, working in him, working through him. It's all here. So while we can't understand the enigmas of individual lives and God's dealing with them in Scripture, we are sure that ultimately everything in the Bible somehow is bringing us and leading us to Christ. Everything. Even Saul's life. It's leading us to Christ somehow. And David's too. It's more noticeable in David's life, of course. But it is evident also in Saul's life. So it's very often the case. That that's what these, these things are about. This is what a man like Christ. And then you, you ask, could this be Christ? That's what people are saying in that day. Oh, here's an anointed. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the one that's promised? Could this be the one that is to come? And then he goes off the rails. And Saul goes off the rails and then people realize, that's not the Christ. We have to wait for him. It's making us anticipate the real Christ. So they're looking at him for a while and he seems to be the part, he's the anointed, seems to be going well for him. Is he the Christ? And then you realize he's not. And it's the same with David. David's the very same. Is he the Christ? Could it be him? Could he be the seed of the woman? And then you know, Bathsheba and all of this and all of that. And you realize he's not the Christ. And the whole books of Samuel and Kings is all about this. All these kings united. All these kings coming up. And they're all the same. They all go off the rails. And eventually Israel under their kings goes away into captivity. And the people are still left. Where is he that is born, the King of the Jews? Where's the true Christ? Where's the one that we've waited for, we've wanted for? And so it's always making us anticipate Christ in some way or other. And that's how we study Samuel and Kings. This is not for me moral lessons, you know. How to live a better life. How not to live like Saul. How not to live like David. That's not what the Bible's about. The Bible is always bringing us to desire Christ, to anticipate Christ, to say, when are we going to get a king who's righteous, who reign over us in righteousness? That's what the Bible's about. And that's how Christ preached the Bible. Everything, one way or another, was anticipating or pointing to him. When we look at Saul, we just long for the true Christ. And when we look at David, oh what a disaster. We just long for the true David, the true beloved son. Who one way or another these kings pictured. He even Saul pictured Christ. And he does so in this chapter and in the next. So ultimately verse 24 points us to look to Christ, him whom the Lord Hath chosen the Lord's true anointed. The Lord's king on Zion. Our God and our redeemer. The one. All must kiss. You notice Samuel kissed him. You have to kiss the son. You have to kiss the Lord's anointed. This is him. And he's kissed. But he turns out to be a disaster. Not the real. Not the true. Samuel here, when he anoints Saul, is only obeying God. He's doing this on Saul. And God's not just going to rubber stamp it. You can't do that. You know, I think I'll do this. God will just have to rubber stamp it. That's not how how the work of God goes. You have to do what God says. And Samuel, when he anoints Saul, is doing what God says. I'll send you a man out of the land of Benjamin. You'll anoint him. To be captain over my people. That he may save my people. He's going to be my saviour. He's going to be my deliverer. Who I raise up for Israel. He's going to be my anointed. Who's going to set the people free. It's all strong stuff. It's high stuff. God's man. God's anointed. God's saviour. God's deliverer. God's chosen. My Messiah. That's strong stuff. And it's like a picture of Christ here. And that's how we have to take it. And Saul is discovering God's will here. And he's becoming equipped for God's will. We've seen how God has providentially led him. At this point in his life where God's will has clearly been revealed to him. And there are four things that happen to Saul in this chapter. That persuade him. He's God's man and God's will. The first thing is, the man of God anoints him in obedience to God. That's the visible sign. Though done in private, the prophet of Israel, Samuel, had recognition in all the land. He's God's man, and he anoints Saul. So Saul knows by the anointing he's God's man and God's will. And then God gives him these signs. The word of prophecy goes over him. And the Prophet gives him three signs. You'll meet two men by Rachel's tomb, and they'll tell you about the donkeys that have been found, and your father's now worried about you. That's one of the things, Saul, as you go on your way. And then at the Great Tree of Tabor, you'll meet three men who are carrying the, the furnishing for sacrifice, and they'll talk to you and they'll offer you two loaves of bread. And then at Gibeah, at the hill, that's Gibeah, that's in his home area, Gibeah, that's called the hill here in this chapter. Uh, There's a Philistine garrison there. You'll meet a company of prophets who are coming down, and they'll be having the musical instruments, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you'll prophesy. Three signs. And Saul went, and they were all fulfilled in his life. Three signs, three tokens. There were miracles. Nobody gets signs like this today. Who's going to ask for, gonna let me meet man with three donkeys and carrying three kids and you know, carrying bottles of wine and all this and that and the other. And he'd say this to me, this is a miracle. He has three miracles in his life. He's three signs and wonders in his life. He's a man anointed, the Messiah, with signs and wonders in his life. And he prophesies, he becomes a prophet, People are amazed, didn't even think Saul was religious, and now he's a prophet, and he's prophesying. He has these signs, and then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, he turns him into another man, he gives him another heart. There's an internal work, there's something going on in him, we can't describe it, we don't define it. We're not saying it's regeneration, but the Spirit of God is certainly doing something internal in him. I mean, he's not going to fight the Philistines and be the deliverer and get the salvation for Israel without God doing an internal work in him. So God is really working in him in this man. And then, public meeting, Saul stays away, he hides himself. He's not putting himself forward, he hides himself. But they do the lots, Benjamin's taken. They do the lots, Saul's house is taken. They do the lots, and behold, this is another miracle, you know. This is an election of the king. And it's not that Samuel's fixed all the, you know, all the coupons up and you know it'll all work out that Saul comes out at the end. That's a lie and deceit. That's not how he got elected. It was left in the lap of the Lord, this whole business. And publicly he's brought to the front by the miracle of, of this election. It's all public. So it's not just private, it's public. This is God. This is a man who has God in his life. This is a man who's in God's will. It can't be denied. It's all there for us. God's man, God's word in his life. Stand out here a while and I'll speak to you the word of God. He has the providential signs in his life. He's God's guidance. He's God's holy oil. He's the Holy Spirit shaping him. And that's the way it is in this chapter. I know what you're thinking what he did later on in life but you have to keep that out of your mind it's not in this chapter it's not in this chapter you have to keep that out of your mind we have that at the end and it's sad what happens to him at the end he becomes more like the devil's man than God's man and that's sad and we can't explain that but you have to forget about that at present it's not in the chapter we haven't reached that yet the path of the just is often and usually as the shining light that shine of more and more onto the perfect day. We know that wasn't Saul. So. The man of God, he goes through the fire and he comes forth as gold and we know that wasn't Saul. So. He wasn't a sunbeam for God at the end. We know that. He wasn't gold at the end, tried gold, pure gold at the end. We know that. But we have to keep that out of our minds at present. And we have to read these early years of Saul like the people are just seeing him. This wonder on the horizon. Who is he? Could he be the seed of the woman? We have to look at it like that, you see. So we have to keep all the wickedness that he did later on in the background for the moment. And that's why we can make him as a type of Christ. Now he's obviously not a type of Christ when he kills and slaughters all the priests. But that's later on. But now, he's looking possibly as one who is like Christ. In this chapter. And that's how we have to take it. And the next chapter too, when he delivers from the wicked king who wants to pull everybody's eye out. He's a type of Christ. A very real type of Christ as we go into the next chapter. So at this point, He's like the Lord. People may be saying, well, you know, could this be the promised one? All eyes are watching him. They don't know for sure until he manifests Messiah-like qualities or the opposite. And at the minute, it's looking good. It's looking good. So we see what Samuel saw at this point. I don't know if Samuel knew ultimately God would reject him or not. We're not sure about that. But Saul starts out well, and we have to remember that congregation. You know, the Christian church has given Saul a really rough and hard time. Because they've, they've looked at him through the lens of his later life. And and sometimes I wonder how fur that really is. You know, we don't know how any of us will finish. So we don't. We don't know what mental changes we don't undergo. People have got tumors in their brain and they've just become awful in their personality. It's just been a total transformation. There can be physical reasons for things you know. God only knows these things. Uh, So we we ought to be careful just how we think we can judge things and read things and see things and know things. The Bible says don't don't judge anybody. The Lord judges them in the right day. He knows all the facts. He knows what the problems are. And what the realities of the situation are. So, so we really have to be careful. And there's no denying, reading chapters ten and chapters eleven, you, you seem to have one here who's who's gonna shine. Sadly, he doesn't. So let's be careful how we judge Saul. He does appear as a type of Christ. For the few moments that are left, let's reflect on some points that show him a type of Christ or A contrast with Christ in some way or other. There's some remarkable things here. And first of all, there's this business with animals. With lost animals. Saul is a man who failed to find the lost donkeys. And the Bible makes a big thing of this. He can't find the donkeys. He can't find the donkeys. He goes looking and he can't find the donkeys and ends up becoming a king. He's presented as a bit helpless when it comes to finding lost things. He's not good at finding lost things. Not like Jesus. Jesus is the one who finds lost things. He finds the sheep that are lost. He goes after the sheep that are lost. And he finds them. Christ is the true seeker of the lost. And the finder of them too. He doesn't go seeking sheep and then become something else. No, he's the true king of Israel who goes out seeking the lost And who finds him as the true king of Israel. He's always the same. Finding the lost. And of course we have to reflect on this. Didn't Jesus have a donkey in his life? Do you remember it? Going into Jerusalem. The king riding on a donkey. Saul couldn't find the donkeys to go riding on. Lost donkeys. But Jesus. He knows where the donkey is. And he can send his disciples on. You go to this house. You, you inquire in this house. There's a donkey there. You take the donkey. You bring him to me. They'll ask you, what are you doing? Why are you taking that donkey? You say, the Lord has need of him. And he let you go. And you can bring me the donkey. And I'll go riding on the donkey. Do you see the difference? Do you not think there's a play there in the history? Is there not something significant there? Saul's not the real messiah. He can't even find a donkey. And yet Jesus. He sends the apostles to the very right place. And brings the, the unbroken donkey. So that he sits on and he rides on. And he, he's in control. And he rides in. Blessed is the king. That cometh in the name of the Lord. So he's recognized. Even by the donkey. As the true Messiah. Unlike Saul. And then. Christ is different from Saul in this regard because Samuel says to Saul, Stand you still a while, I'll show you the word of God. That's very different. Here's a man who's Messiah and he has to be shown the word of God. He has to be told the word of God. And we see that he even has problems obeying the word of God. But Christ, Christ is the word of God. And he doesn't stand still a while and receive the word. He requires us all to stand still a while. And he gives us the word. He's the word. He's the true word. The true word of God. The true prophet who gives us the word of God. All the words that you've given me, I've given on to them. So he gives us the word of God and doesn't stand there like some kind of dummy. Who just gets the word of God. No, Christ, Christ is the sovereign king. He's in control. Verily I say unto you, he's a word. He's the king who gives out the word. So that's that's another contrast here with Saul. And it's interesting that whenever Saul gets the spirit on his life, he becomes another man. Whatever that means. I don't think it necessarily means that he's a good man. But he does become another man. He's changed. He's changed. That's really what this chapter is about. This man undergoes a change and he becomes a prophet and he, he does what he didn't do before. And he can sing the word of God as he never did before. And so the Spirit of God comes upon him and, and does this a great change. But you know, whenever Jesus Christ was baptized and the Spirit came upon him, there was no change. None whatsoever. He's the same man. He's the same man with the fullness of the Spirit as he receives it, as he was before that. He, he's the same Messiah. He's the same Chosen One. He's the same good heart. He didn't become another man. You don't read that about Jesus. You never read that about Jesus. he become another man. That would imply he's a sinner. That would imply he has depravity. That would imply he has something wrong with him and he he needs this internal change. But Jesus had no internal change. Even John didn't even want to baptize him. What? Baptize you? I baptize sinners. I baptize sinners who need change. I baptize sinners who need forgiveness of sins. I baptize sinners who need new hearts. But Jesus, to baptize you. Suffer it to be so, John. It becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. I have to do everything that my people have to do. They can't even get baptized right. I have to get baptized for my people. So they have a perfect righteousness. It becomes me to fulfill all righteousness. They can't even repent right. They can't even go through the waters of baptism and confess their sins right. But Jesus does it all for us. But he never undergoes an internal change. He never gets a new heart, he never becomes another man, because he has no sin. He never had sin, Jesus. So there's a great difference here between the account of Saul and the account of Jesus. And there's this matter of outward appearance, because Saul is looked at, oh, he's the tallest in Israel. You know, it amazes me why Americans pick pick tall presidents. They're amazingly tall. I think mostly they're over six feet. Why, why is that? There's something about a tall person in the eyes of the world. And he's a tall person. Oh, that's the king we want. Look how tall he is. Look at him. But inside, he's not too good. But Jesus is the opposite. Oh, no beauty in him to desire. He just, you know, he's 30. He looks like he's 50. He's a peasant. He's all wrinkled up. He's had a hard, tough life. You know, he doesn't doesn't look externally the part. See no beauty in him to desire him. He's not the king we choose. He doesn't have it externally, but internally. He has it internally. We can be sure of that. And that's what really matters, isn't it? Inside, in the heart. He's as a root out of a dry ground, not looking too much, no comeliness, no form. Many who see him are astonished at him. His visage is so marred more than any man than the sons of man. He doesn't look like Saul. Ah, but his heart. His heart is like a tree planted by the rivers of water, like that man in Psalm 1. He's filled with the word of God. He's filled with purity and the desire to find lost sinners. And to give himself for them. And to glorify his father and exalt him. And not one shred of egotism. Not one molecule of narcissism in him. So pure. The Lord's true anointed. And then, yes, Saul did have some miracle signs in his life. Some signs and wonders indicating he was Messiah. Ah, but not like Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Oh, he had them in abundance. Abundance of miracles establishing him as, as the true Messiah, as the true anointed of the Lord. So not just a few wee tokens here thrown in for you know someone who's to be the type. But Christ has the reality and the substance. All the power of God is with him. As he said to the Jews, the works which the Father have given me to finish, I do. The same works that I do, these wonders, these works that I do, they bear witness of me. That I am the Father's chosen. And that he has sent me. So that's another thing by way of contrast. And then there's this account at the end. and I quite like this. Because again, what we're seeing in the attitudes of the people to Saul, something of the kind of attitudes to the true Messiah. Because what does it say there in verses 26 and 27? Saul also went home to Gibeah. There went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. Oh, whenever God raises up his anointed, he touches hearts. You can be sure of that. Even when he raises up the type, he touches hearts around him. Ah, what will he not do when he raises up his true Christ, his true son, his true anointed, and he raises up all these men and women around him whose hearts he has touched. And that's us, I trust. He's touched our hearts. So we love this anointed. We love this Christ. We support this Christ. We surround this Christ. We're devoted to this Christ. A band of members in the church whose hearts God has touched. I hope we're that. I pray we might be that. That every time we see the Lord's true anointed and consider him as we are tonight, that our hearts might be touched again. That we're glad he's ours. We're glad he found us. We're glad we we believe in him and we serve him and follow him. So, yes, there is this good side of the story. The Lord raises up good hearted people around him, but sadly, There's the other part of the story as well. Verse 27. The children of Belial said. How shall this man save us? Have we heard that before? About Jesus? Even today people say this about Jesus. How shall this man save us? We'll be saved by our good works. We'll be saved by our conscientiousness. We'll be saved by our self-righteousness. This man. How does this man save us? With his cross? With his blood? Oh, there's those men of Belial, those wicked. If you're the Savior, if you're the one who saves us, why don't you come down from the cross? Are we thinking echoes here of Calvary? Of the Lord's anointed on the cross? As the Lord lifts them up high, as anointed, and, and there are those few that the hearts of the Lord has touched, the women, the, the disciples standing afar off, But then all these children of Belial scoffing him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's not a true savior. He's not a true deliverer. And so there's this kind of attitudes towards the anointed. And these are echoes and foreshadowings of what it's really going to be like for Jesus here. Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? I'm not talking about Saul. The Holy Spirit is pointing us beyond to Christ. Do you see him? I hope you see him tonight. The Lord's anointed. And Saul amazingly does indicate some meekness here. Because these children of Belial, who despise him and who bring him new presents, and who say, how can he be a saviour? How can he be a deliverer? But he held his peace. He said it. This is a good thing. How can this man turn out bad? I do not know. But he shuts his ears. Could we do that? Being rejected by some and being maligned by others and you know, being run down. Could we just, as if we never heard them. That's literally what it is. As if we never heard them. As if his ears didn't take it in. That's Jesus. As a lamb to the slaughter. The sons of Belial and all that they said. That didn't get him down from the cross. He died as if he had never heard them. For the sheep that he loved. So, so there be echoes here. Images here of Christ. I've only touched on some. There's no doubt a lot more. And in the next chapter there will be as well. It's Christ. Foreshadowed. In the good part of Saul's life. Brothers and sisters, let me close just by saying this. Let us not be found wanting in our devotion to Jesus Christ. Let's not be found wanting. Let's be a united band. A united congregation. See, this is a band of men. It's not just one or two, but I don't know how big or how small it is, but they're united. They're a band. They're a congregation. And they have one heart. One heart. And every one of their hearts has been touched by God. He's the only one who unites us, you know. We have so many differences. So many differences of personality. So many differences of interest. So many differences of attitudes. And really, you know, we, sometimes we get sicken each other. But why are we united? Because of him. Our hearts united in Him. The Lord's Messiah. A band of men whose hearts God has touched. May God touch your heart. And may you trust Him. And may you know most certainly He is the one who saves you. And don't doubt that He saves you. Never doubt that Christ saves you. Never think that He's failed to save you. He saves us. And bring him presents. Give him tributes. Give him honor and song and praise and your tithe and all the rest. Don't be like those who don't bring him any presents. So give him your devotion, your heart, your life. And shut your ears to the devil. And shut your ears to the wicked. And shut your ears to the world. And just keep your eyes looking on to Jesus.